If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one the only morgan <laughs> Brittany. hi there how are you what is going on how are you we were just talking about you're in la and it's pouring there oh yeah oh yeah it's it's uh coming down pretty hard right now it's a good day to stay in and chat with me right it is absolutely you couldn't have picked a better day well, listen, like you are originally from, you know, L.A. I know you grew up there. You started working when you were young, when you were just five. You know, I often ask people who started in the business so young, like, was it always acting like as you were growing up acting like, did you ever, you know, because most people don't start working at five and then stay in that career. Like, did you ever contemplate doing something else like throughout your childhood, like as you were acting and in your to your adult, like, was it ever going to be like, Maybe I should go try that profession. Or was it always just like, no, this is this is my calling? You know, I really didn't have any choice in the matter when I started because I was only five years old and I was told dancing lessons, singing lessons, you're going to go on auditions, you're going to do this. So it was just a way of life for me. And I had a wonderful time in the business, except for a lot of the rejections, it's very hard for when you're a little kid to get rejected all the time because you don't know what you did wrong and you think you did everything okay and then you don't get the job and it's like, okay. And one of the toughest ones, I think, was um, on Gypsy. When I did Gypsy with Natalie Wood, um, I had the job and I was already in rehearsals. I had been cast, ready to go. And one day during rehearsals, the AD came over and he said to my mother, uh, you're going to have to take her aside into this little trailer for a few moments. Now, we could hear everything that was going on. They brought another little girl in to audition for my role. And I remember my heart fell because I said to my mother, wait, I thought I had the job. And she said, oh, you do, you do. And I could hear the conversation of Mervyn Leroy saying to the casting person, I already have my baby June, don't send me anybody else. But you can imagine an eight-year-old kid realizing that there's a possibility somebody could be better and take over their job. I mean, it's it's kind of a brutal world for kids in the business. Yeah. And like, you know, a lot of our adult issues stem from childhood, right? You know, we yeah, work yeah. them out and here we are. Yeah. But like, did that stay with you kind of as you grew up? You know, you get used to it and you 
I guess you just, you know, you live with it. I, I got to the point where I kind of shut the door on auditions. When I, I go in there, I do the best I could. And then if I didn't get it, it was like, well, I understand, you know, I am not what they were looking for. They were looking for somebody else. I remember one day a director said to me, listen, I love your reading. You're perfect for the role, but you remind me of my ex-wife. <laughs> and so I didn't get the job. And that's just how crazy this business is. You know, it's crazy, but you know, it affects you, but I don't. I never really let it run my life, you know, where it just paralyzed me or anything. What do you think of like kids that are actors? Because right, like when you're five, I mean, you know, and this is no shade to anyone, but obviously, you know, at four, two, three, you know, you're not saying this is my calling. So it is parents that start this process for the child. Like, what do you think of that, you know, now, just in general? I'm not a, I'm not a fan of it. And I, and I let a lot of people know that when they come to me and they go, oh, my kid really wants to do this. They really want to be an actor. And I said, you know, how old is your child? Oh, two. You know, well, at two, I don't think it's their ambition. I think it's the parent's ambition. So I discourage it. I try to tell them, you know, it's it's not what you think it is. The business is not, I mean, your child will be a product and that's it. And if that product sells, it's great. And if that product doesn't sell, you're done. You lose an agent. They don't care. They shut the door on you like it doesn't matter. And they put you back on a shelf. That's something that a lot of people don't understand about this business, that you virtually are something that they sell. So I try to tell parents and be straight with them. Some understand it and others, you know, they just are gung-ho and want to push their child. And, you know, it's like, sometimes it's not a good end. Right. And it's a product that you sell that is great when it's great. And then when it's not great, the door is closed within like a very rapid period of time. Oh, believe me, believe me. When I was a um, child actor, my career ended at 16 after yours, mine and ours. And the phone just stopped ringing. I mean, that was it. And I heard my agent tell my mother, you know, she's done in the business, have a nice life. And I didn't know what to do at that point. I was you know, a kid who'd never really gone to public school except hit and miss. I didn't really, I wasn't really trained to do anything else. It's kind of like a racehorse that once their career's over, they're put out to pasture. They don't know what to do. So it was a, it was a beginning, which is, which is what, you know, made me change my name, made me change my image, made me move to New York city. Um, it was a big decision to have to make, but boy, I'll tell you, it's, um, it's, it's a tough transition. Kurt Russell did it. Ronnie Howard did it. Natalie Wood did it, of course. Um, Jodie Foster did it, but there's many, many bodies in the road, you know, that, that didn't. And yeah. it's unfortunate. How did the part of Catherine Wentworth come to you? Like, did you, did it just a typical, 
you know, you, you did take time off and you went to school and you did reinvent yourself and change your name and move to New York. And yes. And then, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, was it, did you just answer a casting call? Was it your team? Like how, how did that come your way? Actually it was, I had been working pretty steadily. Um, I, I lived in, I don't know whether, you know, I lived in Japan for two and a half years and I was a model in Japan. And when I came back to the U S suddenly Charlie's Angels was a big hit. And so my type of look was in vogue again. And I started, you know, going out on auditions. I built my career in the 70s, in the in the late 70s. And I had done movies of the week, ABC movies of the week, like Initiation of Sarah. And then I did Moviola for um, uh, David Wolper and NBC in 1980 and that kind of put a name to the person people had been seeing for so many years on commercials and you know episodic television they didn't really know who I was but they knew my face well all of a sudden a name was put to that because I was on the cover of every you know uh, local television tv guide as Morgan Brittany, as Scarlett O'Hara, or as Vivian Lee. And it was immediate that everybody just, oh, now I know who she is. Well, I had gotten married, um, I guess, in May of 1981. And I got a call when I got home from my agent who said, hey, they're doing an audition for Dallas. And I went, Dallas? I don't, it, I've heard of it, but then they said, oh yeah, it's a really successful show. I said, well, I don't think I've seen it. And they said, all right, well, Victoria Principal is in it and they're going to add a sister for her. And they're looking, they don't exactly know what they're looking for. They're kind of going from 16 years old to maybe up to 25. And, you know, you may as well go out on it. And I was not really in the frame of mind to go on an audition. I kind of wanted to settle in with my husband and it was like, oh, I got to schlep over to MGM. I know this is going to be, I was just not in the mood. So I, um, I got in the car. I went over there. Of course, it was typical. Back then you had to go in and everybody was there. I mean, every actress in the world with their two pages of dialogue and you know, I'm sitting in this waiting room going, all right, okay, forever. And it was a two-hour wait. For, so I finally got in there. Well, I had a bit of an attitude at that point. <laughs> and I did my two lines of dialogue. And in there was Lenny Katzman, the CBS execs, the casting person. I mean, there must have been eight people in that room. And I'm sitting in the center. And I do my dialogue. And Lenny says to me, I'll never forget, Lenny says to me, okay, that was really, really good, but could I try it another way? And I said, you know what? I I really don't have time for this. I got to go. I got up and left and I walked out and went, what did I just do? And I called my agent. I was with I was with William Morris at the time, and I called my agent. I said, "You guys, I am so sorry. I blew this audition. I know I was so rude, and I've never done that in my life." And he said, "That's ah, okay. They don't really know what they're going for, you know, whatever." 
And I kind of put it in the back of my mind, but I thought, oh man, I don't know where that came from. And then about a week later, my agent calls me and says, well, they, you are in big contention here. They want you for this thing. I said, are you kidding me? And he goes, no, they liked what they saw. <laughs> you know, So I don't know. It's funny how things happen, but I know for sure that everybody in the world wanted that role because it was, you know, you're it's a hit show. And later when I found out, because I started, you know, going into Dallas and going, wow, everybody loves this show. What the heck? What have I been missing? And, you know, from there, it was meant to be, I guess. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. This summer... The world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door. 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as <laughs> What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. You guys know I've been so honest with you about my weight loss over the past few months. Look, I've struggled with my weight my whole life. There's so many diet plans that say, do this, don't do that. And none of them have ever worked for me. That is until Noom. Noom realizes that with weight, one size does not fit all. They take into account each person's individual needs. Noom builds personal plans that takes your specific dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs into account, and then they build a plan that works for you. Noom uses a psychology-based approach. They focus on the why. They believe that losing weight starts with your brain, so they focus on why haven't you been able to lose weight. They really change the way you think about food. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. 2024. Listen, ladies, I have a New Year's resolution that's actually really easy to keep. This year, it's the year to finally stop wearing uncomfortable bras. I hate an uncomfortable bra. Don't you guys? Well, the good news is you never have to wear one again because of Honey Love. I've sent all the ladies in my life for New Year's a Honey Love bra. That's right. Honey Love has revolutionized the bra game so you no longer have to deal with uncomfortable underwire without sacrificing support. Their bras are so comfortable, you're going to forget to take it off. 
a lot of the women I've sent this to actually fall asleep in their bra. And you know, Honey Love is more than just bras. They have incredible shapewear, tanks, and even leggings. Speaking of leggings, Honey Love's Legging 2.0 is amazing. It holds you in without that too tight feeling. They're compressive, cooling, and comfortable. So treat yourself to the best bras and shaper on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash velvet. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off, honeylove.com slash velvet. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Start the new year with confidence, thanks to Honey Love. Is there anyone else that we know if like an actress that was in contention like did you see someone there that's now like an actress we know or someone you that was rumored to be like yeah I believe Delta Burke was was in serious contention and I think gosh there was one other girl who was on a series at the time I cannot remember her name right now but I know Delta Burke was was in contention and um you know, her name had been talked about a lot, but I, I you know, I just don't know. I don't, it, it was so hard to figure what they wanted because I think they wanted to see somebody walk in there and say, that's exactly what she needs to be because the dialogue was kind of, you know, generic and it didn't really have an edge to it where Catherine did have an edge. And then they built upon that. And that seemed, I, you know, I was only hired for six episodes. That was it. And I finished those six episodes and went on my merry way. And then I got a call about six months later and they said, the, the audience reaction is amazing. You've got to come back. And that turned into years, you know, so. I wonder if they thought that you walking out was like part of your audition or no, but probably Could not. Be. She, she wasn't supposed to be, you know, this manipulative woman that she became right during the audition. So it, isn't that funny? Because maybe they did because they probably thought nobody in their right mind would walk out on a show like this. Maybe they did. So like you didn't, even though it was after like who shot JR and like you didn't realize like just the magnitude of this, because it was a big hit by the time you came on. I mean, it was the early years, but. Huge, huge hit. And it was, I I think in the beginning, Dallas was, did, did not catch on right away. But then with Larry Hagman's character growing and then all of the the intrigue that went on, people started to talk about it around, you know, in the office and going, did you see that? And uh, I think I hit it right at the when the momentum was really high, because you're right. It was it was after Jr. and it was Kristen in the swimming pool. That's when I came in. And so everybody, it was number one, I think, uh, at that point all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Were you, I mean, Catherine was so good at scheming, like, you know, Jr. I mean, Larry Hagen, that's mm-hmm. one of the most the scheming characters in TV history. Like, did you turn to Larry for advice? Like, did he offer <laughs> advice of like, this is how to be a scheming, manipulative character on TV? He was so funny. I loved working with Larry because he was just a hoot. I mean, all the time. And I remember in the makeup room, we'd go in the makeup room at about six o'clock in the morning on the days that we worked. And um, and I was I was just looking and I said, ah, Larry, what am I going to do? She's getting meaner and meaner by the week. And he goes, darling, 
you're never going to get over that. They're going to make her so mean and so nasty and everybody's going to hate you. And I said, well, Larry, nobody hates you. They love you. And he goes, yep. He says, they do, but they're not going to like you. <laughs> and I said, um, <clears throat> well, what? I said, what is it? Can I bring any of that to Catherine to make her a little bit more? And he goes, no, 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 no. You can't do that. He says, she has to be really evil because everybody loves Pam and Bobby. And the more conniving and evil you are, and the more you lose. And he said, unfortunately, you're going to lose in the end. And he said, so the more you lose, the more people are going to tune in to see what you do. And I mean, it was great advice because we would we would love doing scenes together. Oh, my gosh. It was it was just amazing. I loved it because you're out. You're trying to out evil each other. So it was it was great. And did you feel everyone hated <clears throat> Catherine? Because I didn't. Oh. I, I secretly loved Catherine. I mean, it was almost like you hate her, but you love to hate her. And that makes you love her. Right. It was it was funny because I had at the height, I remember there was an episode called The Letter. And the letter was I had I tricked Pam into signing divorce papers or whatever, and she didn't know. And then I tell Bobby that I found it in the trash and look what she did. And you know, and and it was just, I mean, the epitome, you just want to strangle Catherine at that moment. So I after that aired. I went to the grocery store and this woman comes up. She sees me in the aisle and she rams her cart into the side of mine. And she says, you leave Bobby alone. And I went, hey, they make me do this. I said, that's not really me. And she goes, God, I hate you. I hate you. And then some other girl in a restaurant she had a real attitude and would just throw my food at me. And I'm like, all right, okay, this is great. But then again, there were people who would come and go, I love what you're doing. You're so mean. And then doing talk shows and doing radio and all that, I would always talk about, you know, that's about as far away from who I am. But people said, well, you're doing it well. So that has to be rewarding as an actress, right? When someone's like slamming their card into you and telling you how much they hate you, or like at least yes. I'm doing the job, right, right? Yeah, it was, it was, it was good. Having grown up in the business, I, I played evil characters. I mean, I think the first, the first one that was really noticeable, and I had an amazing director on it, was for the Twilight Zone, and it was 1960. 1963 maybe and I was so mean and so nasty in this Twilight Zone episode so that was my beginning playing little you know villainesses I mean is it you know because I'm making up my own backstory <laughs> but is it just more fun to play a villainess I mean I think it is I think it is because you have no rules there's no rules you can do whatever you want and whereas you know, Victoria kind of said all the time, she goes, I'm just such a goody goody. I'm just such a this and that. And there was no, there was no room to be unpredictable, you know, but for an evil character, 
you can go off the rails. I mean, Catherine really went off the rails and <clears throat> it was, it was great. I mean, you have so much to do as an actor. She did go off the rails. Mm. I mean, she schemed and successfully got Bobby and Pam divorced. She tried to mm -hmm. kill Pam more than once. Mm. She, you know, tried to kill and did kill Bobby, even though he <laughs> came back. I mean, you know, sleeping with JR <clears throat> to try to get to Bobby. Like, did you have like a favorite moment of hers or a storyline throughout the you years? You know, I, I, I really did. There was one. And I think they they threw that into the hat for an Emmy Emmy award or get it, you know, a nomination, trying to get me nominated for that character. And the scene was with Kenny Kershaw, who played my brother Cliff. And there was a storyline in the show where Cliff was broke and he needed money and he had gone to everybody to get money. And he had to grovel finally to Catherine to ask her for money. And the scene we did, Kenny and I had so much fun with it because it was just one of those, you know, how much do you need and this and that and well, and then and then he's begging and he gets to this point where he goes, are you going to give it to me? And she takes a long pause, looks him up and down and goes, no, <laughs> and walks out the door and Kenny's face just goes. And at the end of that sequence, at the end of that scene, when, when the director yelled cut, the whole crew just went, yes, oh my God. And it was, it was really one of my favorite days because it worked so beautifully, really did. It was a JR moment. <laughs> it was. I mean, listen, Catherine rivaled JR in her scheming many, many times. Was there a moment of the opposite where you felt like it jumped the shark or like this is a little too far even for Catherine or like, let me talk to you guys and push back. Like, I don't know if this really works. I think up in, <clears throat> up into the, up until the uh, dream sequence, everything worked great. Everything worked perfectly because there was no, um, there was nothing you didn't believe. You believe that she could get away with that when she, when she went to Europe and she tried to break up Jenna's, you know, find all the stuff on Jenna, Jenna Wade, all of that stuff worked. And I think it was when they asked me to come back. After Bobby, they, you know, he showed up in the shower and they go, oh, you're alive. Can you please come back to the show? We need you. And I thought about that. And I, I even said to Lenny, I said, Lenny, are people going to buy this? I mean, are they really going to believe that it was all a dream? That was an entire season. And he said, well, they're going to have to because Patrick wants to come back. I think that at that point... It was kind of it was kind of sketchy. And then I think they they wanted to make it seem like I kidnapped Pamela and I took her away and, you know, she got in the accident or whatever and got burned. I, it was that was kind of pushing it a little, I think. 
If you're a foodie like me, you know how expensive exploring the local food scene can be and how much time and energy it takes to find somewhere new with a great dish. That's why I stopped trying and I've turned to Cook Unity. Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your front door every week. And it's cheaper than other delivery options. What's the main difference I see with Cook Unity compared to other meal services? The quality of the food. This week alone, I've had these gingery salmon cakes. Another day I had beef quesadillas. And today for lunch, I'm about to have chili lime salmon with corn and black bean salad. Mm. There's no cooking required and you can pick as few as four or as many as 16 meals a week. They take into account any allergies you have. They have dairy-free options, vegan, gluten-free. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your front door. Go to cookunity.com slash velvet or enter code velvet before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off by using code velvet or going to cookunity.com slash velvet. Doesn't being a king or a queen seem so enticing? It sure does to me. But you know what? More often than not, it comes at the expense of everything else. Freedom, privacy, sometimes even your head. The creators of Wondery's Even the Rich are bringing you a brand new podcast called Even the Royals, where hosts Brooke and Arisha pull back the curtain on royal families, past and present from all over the world to show you, well, the darker side of what it means to be royalty. They cover it all. Like, for example, Marie Antoinette. Do you realize that so much we know about her is wrong? After she became queen at just 19 years old, she ended up in a battle with the French press that started a series of impossible-to-believe events. It's history's greatest smear campaign. Worse than any of the housewives that we talk about here. And what about King George IV and Caroline of Brunswick? That's literally the worst royal marriage of all time. There's a story that involves catfishing, fake pregnancy, Follow Even the Royals on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge Even the Royals ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Did you, speaking of the dream, like, did you, you know, because Patrick wanted to leave at that point to pursue other opportunities at the end of season eight, like, did you want to leave Dallas at that point? Or was your, like, being written out just a byproduct of, like, without Bobby, there's no need for Catherine at this point? Uh well, I knew it was coming, and um, I knew that that at the end of that show, that would be it for her. I figured she was dead forever, <clears throat> and and I got pregnant. So when you see me in the car, and they pull my head back, and my wig falls off, and and that death sequence thing, I'm seven months pregnant. So I was fine leaving the show, and I and I thought this has been a great run. I love it. I'm going to move on. I really wanted to move into comedy and do some really stretch kind of doing something like that. Wow, was that difficult. Nobody wanted me for comedy at all. So it was, you know, I I raised my kids. I had two kids and I kept working. But boy, I was I was really trying to live down that character. And it was hard. Right. Like you get typecast, you know. In that, were you were you ever in the mix for a comedy or anything else that we know of? Like where we could say, like, oh wow, you you were almost one of the Charlie's Angels. Not that that's a comedy or something like that. You know, you mentioned um, Charlie's Angels earlier. I did, I did episodic, like I did uh, Married with Children, right? And the producers and directors went, wow, you can do comedy. This is great. So I did, I did it that, and then I did the Nanny with Fran Drescher. 
And I did Dear John. Uh, I did a few, few comedy things, but there was never any point where I got a pilot or a, a series or anything like that. People just were a little bit afraid that I was too identifiable as Catherine. A lot, I got a lot of scripts that were, I didn't want to do because they were crazy moms, you know, slasher movies. And I thought, no, I don't really want to, don't really want to do that. So I was very, you know, I was very particular in what I wanted to do. Did you ever pass something up? I mean, like a slasher or something where you just, it became some huge, you know, you always hear stories like, oh, I passed up that Marvel movie that went out to make like $200 million, which doesn't mean it's a great movie, but you know, like, did you ever pass up something where it just became a huge hit and you're like, man, should have taken that one. No, I don't, I don't think so. None of those ever really um, became, you know, like, a big, big horror movie. Um, I did a little horror movie that's, I mean, it's it's so underground. People love it. And it's like a cult movie. And it's, it's absolutely, um, you know, it's a vampire movie. It's called Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat with David Carradine, Maxwell Caulfield, Bruce Campbell. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was hilarious. It was, it was funny. And I got to play this this mom who was completely oblivious. Her her husband's a scientist and he makes fake blood for the vampires because they want to go straight. Go figure, right? And I'm totally oblivious. Moving to this town with all these vampires going, wow, why do they do that? But I got to do something that I really had fun with. And that was kind of of one of the things that I did that never really never really was a big hit but it's such an underground cult feature now that i don't know it's funny how things go you and maxwell caulfield i'm gonna have to go find this movie now oh you've got you've got to see it you will die laughing i mean especially if you know the backstory of of david carradine and working with him holy moly (laughs) it sounds did you I mean other than having this talk with Leonard Katzman like did you consider not going back you know because of the dreams you know season of course that season got a lot of flack from viewers everyone did eventually get over it because the show went on for many years afterwards but right right it took us all a minute to get over that yes uh you know I I didn't I I told Lenny I asked him I said well how how long do you need me for and he said, well, we need you, you know, the beginning of the season because you're going to go into the hospital and you're going to confront Bobby. And then that that storyline is going to be, oh, she's still alive. Oh, OK. He's still alive. She's still alive. Now what's going to happen? And then they kind of did the thing with with Pamela. But I'm trying to remember. I really kind of lost track of the show after that because I, I was had my family and everything and I didn't I don't really know where they went I know Victoria left the show and did they replace her with somebody another actress I don't know no they definitely didn't like I remember yeah I mean some of it gets fuzzy for me too like I mean I remember you know Bobby was blind and you try to kill him with lethal injection right right and then I mean that I think was the end right like that's when they kind of you went away 
yeah, yeah. After that. disappeared. And and that was the whole thing about the 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 um sequel that they did because uh I know a few people threw my name out there and said, well, Catherine's, where is she? We need her to come back. And Kenny, it would be great to have them, you know, I don't know whatever happened with that. I don't know why they brought some people back and other people they didn't. I didn't follow a storyline, but I had a lot of fans ask me that. A lot of fans say, why didn't you go back to do the sequel? Did you... Yeah, like, did they call? I mean, like, I know like, <clears throat> Charlene Tilton was there. Audrey Landers was there. So Afton right. was there. Right, Steve, right. Steve Canale was there. We even had right. Joan Van Ark at one point. So, I mean, it was. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it was exactly. Uh, I know that that an inquiry came. An inquiry came through on uh, my agency. You know, would she consider but yeah, I mean, I would have, I would have considered because I would have loved to have played that character again. But I think, you know, circumstance. I don't know. I, I, I can't ever figure out the business. I can't ever figure out the business either. <laughs> I mean, I think the key is not to figure <clears throat> out the business, and like you said, where we started, like don't ever take anything personally. Just keep your head no. down and do the work, and just. I have friends that are in the business that get so upset at things and they try to like, and I'm just like, just whatever's meant to be is meant to be. I think you just have to get to that place or you drive yourself crazy. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I, my heart broke <laughs> over one project that I wanted more than anything. And this was before Dallas. I wanted this role. I love I I researched this role. I did everything I possibly could to get it. I got to the end and it was down between Jane Seymour and myself. And it was a movie called Somewhere in Time. And they could not make up their mind. I remember going back into the back into the room. They called Jane, they called me. Christopher was in the office. They brought her in. She came out and sat down. They brought me in. I came back and sat down. Then finally they said, okay, girls, you can go. And I waited and waited and waited. And I thought, I, this is my role. This is, this is me. This is what I want to do. And I had my heart set on it. And I knew when the florist truck drove up to the door, <laughs> I knew I didn't get it. And they said, basically, Chris wanted to go for the English accent, but he said that the producer said there was nothing, nothing you did. You were perfect. You were exactly what we were looking for. Ben, so was Jane. So, you know, that was like, oh, okay. And I had to, I had to get over that one, but that one really you talk about something you really want. And then I tried to think, oh my gosh, well, it wasn't meant to be. She was supposed to have it. I was supposed to have something else. Uh, listen, I'm sure other actresses have felt that way about things I got, you know, that they probably really wanted. Maybe Delta Burke really wanted to be <clears throat> Catherine Wentworth. That's true. That's true. It could very, could very well be. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But the way things work out, that was really the only thing. I think in my entire career that I wanted so badly that I didn't get. 
that you didn't get. Well, in in the Dallas reboot, they mentioned that Catherine has passed away at some point. Like, I don't know if you're aware of that. I don't know what season of the reboot it was on TNT. Yeah, I heard that. She passed away throughout the years. I think it was the first season. They kind of addressed it right away. Yeah, I I heard that. And then uh, somebody had contacted me and said, oh, we were on a blog with the producer talking about your character. And she goes, well, you never know. You know, she could come back. It could all have been a, you know, head fake. And I I kept thinking, well, and then the show got canceled. So don't know. She could have, right. They could have, that would have taken one second <clears throat> to explain Catherine faking her own death for some reason. Oh, you know. oh could you imagine? Well, I, she would have too. <laughs> Exactly. It, it was really good. I know there was a lot of politics at TNT and it didn't, you know, yeah. kind of. What was it like working with Victoria Principal? I know you mentioned her earlier. You had a lot of scenes with her and Ken Kirchival, but what was Victoria Principal like to, as an actress to work with? She was, she was, she was fine. I mean, we got, we got along fine. Um, we did an awful lot of work together and she was always just so she was really perfect in what she did. She was always very well prepared, always, always knew what she wanted to do. Um, Yeah, she was, she was great. I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't a jokester like Patrick and like Larry and, you know, they would, they would just mess up rehearsals and you're going, guys, really, we got to get this, you know, and ah, it's fine. So Victoria wasn't like that. She was more of a, you know, methodic a- actress. So it was, right. it was great. Yeah. We worked together a long time. Do you keep, I mean, did you, have you kept in touch like throughout the years? I mean, like I know, you know, with Larry's passing, like, did you keep in touch with Larry throughout the years, Victoria, anyone from Dallas? I'm sure you no, get that question only, a lot. The only person I think I saw more than anybody was probably Charlene Tilton. She she and I would show up at autograph shows and she'd be there and, you know, we'd talk a lot and and there were events that we were went, were together at. I there were never any really close friendships on that show. I think there were with Linda Gray and Larry and Patrick and everybody. But those of us who were on, you know, the the supporting players it was kind of like, yeah, but we're not part of the family. And it was, I I guess you just never really made those really deep connections. Right. Which happens on a lot of jobs, you know. It does. It, it really does. I mean, I saw Larry quite a few times afterwards, but it wasn't like we were, I never brought up, I never brought up to him years before Dallas. He was auditioning girls for a movie and I was probably 20 maybe maybe 20 and he had the audition over at his house and so I'm uh, I'm knocking on the door and he opens the door and he's in a caftan all the way down to the floor with a glass of wine in his hand and he goes darling come in and we sat on the floor and we did meditation and I'm just like going, um, okay. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. But little did I know, that's who Larry was. Larry was just, he was just a little bit loony. <laughs> so, 
Does he know that you were that girl? No, 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 no. There's so many people in this business that have no idea that we had met before. So many. And I come in contact with them again and I don't say anything, but I know exactly. Bob Hope was one of them. (laughs) There's just, there's so many people and they don't have a clue. You know, it's like, "Hmm, okay. I get it. I it's I feel it out. And then sometimes they yeah. say something. It's like, you know, because like I go to a lot of the autograph conventions sure. too. And like, you know, so I mean I, I've never met you, but I've met like Charlene. And sometimes you're just like, do I tell this person they were on my podcast? Sometimes I do if we're having a moment. And then other times I'm like, right. there's so many people here. This is like yeah. a zoom. Yeah. That's just like, but I like to usually, but I but I get it. Well, after Dallas, I mean, you also, we worked on like glitter with Aaron Spelling. You were on Melrose Place yeah. for three. Like, mm-hmm. did you, what was it like being on an Aaron Spelling project? Did oh, you- I, I got to tell you, I knew Aaron. I I did the original Burke's Law back in 1964 with Aaron. And I did an episode then. He never forgot me. He remembered me all those years. And I, I remember many, many times I would audition for him. And, you know, he said, I'm going to find a project for you. I'm going to find something for you. I'm looking, I'm looking. And um, Glitter came along and I was contracted to CBS at the time. I was under contract to CBS and Lorimar. And Aaron made a deal for me to do Glitter he went to CBS and said, I know I'm ABC, but I need to borrow her, you know. And so I was doing two television shows, two network shows at the same time on two different networks, which nobody had done. And Aaron was so loyal and so wonderful. He signed me to that contract and he said, I'm going to make sure that you're on the Love Boat every year, Fantasy Island every year um hotel every year he made he made your life secure in the sense that you're not forgotten and you know you saw that with all the old actors that he brought in and he was so wonderful and respectful and very very honored that any of these older actors would would come on the show he made them feel so special. He made all of us feel so special. Out of everybody in the business, he was a class act. I mean, a really class act. I mean, it was a. It kind of got to be a joke at one point where you'd have twenty motorhomes lined up in front of the soundstage, and every star had their motorhome, you know. And and you'd get silver delivered to you as a gift, and you'd have red roses in your trailer in the morning. I mean, it was fabulous. I mean, I can't I can't say enough about Aaron. He was he was so good, and he remembered me from the time I was ten years old. Wow, and he did. I mean, he you were on Love Boat a lot. You were on Fantasy Island. Hotel. I mean, he he yep. made good. You know, it wasn't just lip service, as we know no, can happen in this no, business. It wasn't. Do you have memories? I mean, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Dallas fan, but I'm a huge Melrose Place fan too. I mean, I know it was a short-lived experience yeah. for you, but like, do you have memories of working with like Patrick Muldoon and Josie Bissett and being on Melrose oh, for that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had I had not done a lot of television for a while at that point. And I came back to to do it. And 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 television had changed a lot. You know, there was there was it was faster, it was 
okay, cut, move on. You didn't, you didn't delve into the scenes where you'd go, you know what? Let's try that again another way. They didn't have time for any of that. So everybody there was pretty much married to their characters. They knew what they wanted to do. Um, Patrick and I got along great, even though it was, you know, it was a relationship that was <laughs> very tense, but we got to laugh a lot and do a lot of things. Um, I can't remember. What's the girl with the, the girl that was the evil girl with the red Laura, hair? Laura Lee Yes. Yes. And she was great. She was wonderful. And she was really good at what she did. And so, you know, I had a great experience. I, I liked doing that show. And Heather, of course, I had known for years before. And we did Night of a Hundred Stars together and just our eyes were like this backstage at Rockefeller. I mean, at um, uh, um, Radio City. Yes, Radio City. <laughs> now, see, there's another story backstage at a at Night of a Hundred Stars. Oh, no. <laughs> what? Could you imagine a hundred movie stars and at least 50 or 60 women in the Rockettes dressing room? And Margaret. I mean, you've got, oh, where do I begin? Heather and I sat in a corner and just went, wow. <laughs> Would you have a moment of like, what are we, what are we doing here? Or let's just observe and let's we just did. take notes. We did. Because one of the stars who shall remain nameless, but you would know because she was on a big soap as well, stands in the doorway and she she looks at everybody in the doorway and she's got her hand on her hip and she goes, I'm not dressing in here with all these nobodies. And another actress that you would know turned around and she goes, and who the F are you? <laughs> and Heather and I were in the corner going... So we thought this is going to be good. It was great. Jimmy Stewart going up on the elevator with Jimmy Stewart, uh, sitting in the front row. They gave us all bakery tickets with a number on it for the finale. And they called Jimmy's number and he didn't answer because he was older and everything. And he finally looked at his number and he goes, oh, uh, 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 here. <laughs> it was a Jimmy Stewart moment. And it was just, it was amazing. And you had Dustin Hoffman and you had Robert De Niro all in the same place. I mean, unbelievable. They don't you, do that anymore. That, they, they they tried at one point. I mean, it's not the same thing to revive like Battle of the Network Stars. Like that didn't really last. Like that was a great, I mean, they I, I don't even, now I say probably like 20 years ago, but they, they, they did try maybe like 15 years yeah. ago to do a Battle of the Network Stars, but... You know, but that was that was I mean, probably once in a lifetime you, you could do that because they did Night of 100 Stars 1 and Night of 100 Stars 2. And just for days you're in rehearsal, just trying to get everything coordinated and outfitted and all the personalities. Oh, my gosh. Unreal. Well, I'm just picturing a huge soap star coming in and saying, I'm not dressing here. My mind goes to Joan Collins, but that's okay. You don't have to confirm or disconfirm. I didn't I'm say just, a word. You did it. I'm just telling you where my <laughs> mind goes when I think of nighttime soaps and, you know, but you had Heather there. I mean, so, you know, you had your partner in crime, right? I did. And Heather, Heather was, she was younger than me and she was more of the wide-eyed innocent, you know, she's like, 
oh my gosh, you know, it's crazy. But it was, it was, it was crazy. I shared a table with, remember the singer, Laura Branigan? Yeah, Gloria. Laura Branigan. Okay, so because I was a Brittany and she was Branigan and we were at the same mirror. You can imagine, you can imagine how that went with, you know, the other actresses sharing a mirror. Anyway, I asked her, I, I was doing my makeup and everything. And I said, oh, do you need to, do you need to get over here? Cause I can get out of the way for a minute. And she goes, honey. This is the best I'm going to look. I don't need it. <laughs> I said, great. <laughs> See, so you had high maintenance, low maintenance. You had everything at once exactly. there. Exactly. Do you, is there a part of the business, like I know you've written books, like you said, you did like guest starring, like, you know, I'm married with children and the nanny. Mm -hmm. And like, is there a part of the business like you haven't done that you really still want to do? No, I I did theater. I did a a a, a six month tour of Mame, and um, you know, every night, different city, and had a ball doing that. Um, I've done I did about four shows like that, and loved that. Uh, hard work, really hard work. But I did features. I had the childhood career. I did early TV. I did. You know, I got to do Westerns, the great Westerns of the 60s, like Rawhide and Gunsmoke and Daniel Boone and all that stuff. I got to work. I got to work in the golden age of Hollywood, pretty much when West Side Story was being done, when the Music Man was being done, Gypsy was being done. All of that surrounded me. So I look back and, and I think about Everything I have experienced working with Alfred Hitchcock in The Birds, um, all of that stuff. And then as I as I grew up and I and I got the second career, the second life, so to speak, you know, I moved to New York. I was a model. I lived in Japan as a model. I sold product on Home Shopping Club. I was a spokesperson. I was a journalist, you know, I mean, commentator. So I've really done everything that I want to do. And um, I was, I was, you know, toured for charity for March of Dimes for years. And I've, I've pretty much done what I wanted to do. Well, that's great. I mean, are you like, what's your relationship with the business today? Like, are you happily retired? Are you like, hey, call me, maybe I'm available. Are you actively looking like what's your, you know, do you? You've done it all, like you say. You've done so much. <laughs> I do things like like I enjoy doing things with you because I love reliving the thing, the good things, and even the bad things. I still love going back and sharing those stories with people that didn't have the opportunity to live at that time. And I, you know, because you talk about the doing TV in the 60s, how different that was. And it's a it's a concept a lot of people just don't have the little black and white TV that you turn on and you had three channels. It's like, wow, um, I, I. I do that like I'm going to do a Twilight Zone uh, retrospective where where it's a question answer thing from the oh, fan. Wow. I I don't know. I close the door. I know when to leave the stage. And it's, it's, there's so much criticism. I, I hate to say it, but there is for women who were considered glamorous when they were young. And when they get older, 
they try so very hard to keep up. And there's so much criticism of that. There's so much criticism of, oh, she's old, you know, and it's like, yeah, we all get old, but it's okay. And I don't know. I had a great run. I loved it. I got to work with the best people. Um, fortunate enough to have a TV show that probably will live forever, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think I knew when it was time to leave. And I, I mean, I get offers. People, people call my age. I still have an agent who just, he just loves me, and he goes, "Oh yeah, this came in for you. Do you what? Would you like?" And it's like, no, no, I, I don't. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm glad you like talking to people like me. I mean, I, I agree. Like I've interviewed like John Van Ark and Donna Mills. I just interviewed mm -hmm. Linda Gray a few weeks ago. Like, I don't understand that whole, whether you're a man or a woman, like they got old. I mean, right. We're all, it's, I have, I don't understand that either. It's like you're older to the same extent they're older, the same amount of years. I don't, it's, it's so strange to me. It's one yeah. of my, it's one of my pet peeves too. And like, it's, and it's hard because Producers and directors, you know, they're so brutal on women that even if you're in your 30s and you're not sexy enough or you're not whatever enough, it's like they'll 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 move move on to somebody else. And it just that's never gone away. It's always been like that in the business. And we all understood it and we all knew it. And that's why plastic surgery is so prevalent to try to stay young. But I don't think that's ever going to go away because there's so many people that want to be stars. And there's so many young people that just come out all the time. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strange world to live in. It's a strange world to grow up in as a kid. But it is magic. And it is it is wonderful memories and opportunities and things you would never, ever, ever do in real life that you can do on film or on stage. So there's a lot to say about it, but it's got it's I mean, it's a what is it? It's, it's a, a tough deal with the, it's a deal with the devil. Yeah, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, you know? I agree. I mean, I think you if you think about it you know like i think people that aren't in the business don't necessarily understand it like you know you have like a brad pitt and a julia roberts and then everyone else like it's actually working actors mm -hmm. and actresses lots of them make a great living and have a great career like yours but then you know it's like i think there's this misperception that you know if you're on a tv show that that's it. You're set for life or there's the parts just oh, no. roll out. And it's like, no, it's a really tough business. And so I just think, like you said, people that get into it, go for it. It could be a great magical business. We're all in it, but it, there's a lot. You just got to have the right headspace or you'll just drive yourself insane. And a lot of people well, do. That's right. And, and, and the thing is, is that young people, which I, I do a lot of seminars and things for young, you know, kids in school, in high school, in college that want to get into acting. And I mean, I basically try to tell them, you are going to be told everything in the world. Oh, you can be a star. You can be this. Oh, if you do this, it's wonderful. This is your big break. If you don't do this, this is the biggest mistake of your life. Just filter it out. 
and go with your gut because you have to be true to yourself in life and you have to remember that all of the things they send, all the little glittery things and, and, the, and the beautiful sparkling things you see all over the place and the promises of money and fame and fortune, there's a price to all of that. And you have to know to make the right decisions. Um, I, there are many, many actresses, roles that I turned down when I was in my 20s because I didn't want to do the nudity or the sex scenes or whatever. I just wasn't into that. And talking to them today, that's one of their regrets that they did it. They have children and they say, I don't know how to explain it. You know, so there's a lot of there's there's a lot of really deep soul searching that you have to do. But you have to be true to who you are because they will eat you up and spit you out. No question. And you just I... got to keep getting back up. <laughs> <laughs> I I I agree with that. When you do these fan conventions, which again I've been at, I've never been. When <laughs> I am at one that you're at, I will introduce myself and remind you that you're on this podcast. Oh, good. Oh, great. Because I do do them a lot. You're gonna have to get back. You're gonna have to get back on the convention scene. But is it mostly Dallas? I mean, I would imagine. Like, do people want to? Is it or do you have huge Twilight Zone people? You have Melrose Place people, or is it usually just? maybe Catherine or mostly Catherine. Cause I would imagine that's like a big meaty part of your past, or maybe I'm just making that up because my, you know, I know your whole career, but my predilections are skewed to Dallas, I guess. No, it is. You're right. Yeah, it is. Most of it is Dallas because Dallas was so internationally successful and you have people from all over the world that, that come to see you. And yeah, I would say the majority of it is, but there is a huge sci-fi you know, sci-fi groups and the, the Twilight Zone has just, res, you know, it, there's a resurgence in the original Twilight Zones and the birds and Marnie and what else, Outer Limits that I did. You know, you, you people want to know about that. They want to know what, I mean, I know on, uh, I'm going to go do a, a convention for Twilight Zone. I know the the question, what was Rod Serling like? What was he like to, you know, did he show up? Was he there? You know, and it's like, okay. Yeah. But you know what? When I was when I was eight or nine years old doing those those shows, it was just another show. It literally was. It was like, okay, I gotta be there at eight o'clock. All right, what am I doing this week? You know, you really didn't think about it. You didn't think it was gonna be so you know, such an influence in the in the business. None of us on the birds. We had no idea that was going to be the hit that it was. Or and you know, forever and ever and ever. I mean, they people talk about that now. Oh, the birds scared me to death when I was little. I said, Yeah, you should have been there. <laughs> it's another classic. I mean, how many people get to say they worked on an Alfred Hitchcock movie? Like that's <clears throat> and the Twilight Zone. These are all just yeah. projects that resonate with certain, you know different groups of people. Oh yeah. So, but Dallas, you're right. Dallas is the number one. I mean, what do you do? You know, Dallas is such like a guilty pleasure for so many people. So is the Twilight Zone. Like, do you have guilty pleasures? Like, is there a TV show or like, is there stuff that you like are binging these days or are you not really a TV person? You know what? I love the Real Housewives. You do? <laughs> I love Bravo. 
And now, think- now you're telling this, you know, that like 90% of our listeners, we're like a huge Bravo show as well here. We have a huge, we've had, I've had all the housewives on. I never would have thought that I, I see. I, I make these, I never, see? I wasn't even going there. I just love it. And I just, it just makes me crazy because I watch, I watch those shows and I'm just glued and I'm thinking, do you know how old you are? And you're watching this and I I don't care. I just think they're fascinating. Do you stay up? Like, are they, did you watch Beverly Hills last season? Like, yes. you know, and what do you think about actresses? Like, what do you think of Lisa Rinna being gone? And what do you think of actresses like Garcelle and like Lisa Rinna being on there? Well, I, I think that they're, they're, you know, Garcelle's not as over the top as Lisa was. I mean, Lisa was kind of like, okay, all right, what's she going to do today? Which was interesting. It really was interesting. Right now I'm in the middle of the Vanderpump thing. The Vanderpump. Oh my goodness. And all those, you know, Lala and, and all these people. And Lisa just cracks me up with her dogs I mean, just cracks me up. But I mean, I can't believe the drama. This, I mean, this, really? this scandal has, I mean, this, I look at Vanderpump was like the best. And then mm. it had two bad seasons. Yeah. And this season was pretty good. But I mean, this is like, I think they're just, they all know what they're doing. They're thrilled. This is like, you guys oh, yeah. just bought yourself like a oh. solid three, three, five more years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I you know, when Jax was on, and he met Brittany. And I know a lot of people like Brittany because I live half the time in the South. And she was so genuine and so real that that, yes, I know girls like that. And so many times I'd sit at the, I'd sit in front of the TV and go, Brittany, no, don't buy it. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. I'm crazy, right? <laughs> you have no idea. Like, I mean, we've had, I've had Brittany on this podcast. I've had Jax. I've had them all on here. Like we're a huge Bravo based podcast oh, as well. So, oh, that's so awesome. I, I had no, I, I say, I mean, I just, I figured you were going to tell me euphoria or something. I was like, I have no oh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> Are you shocked at the scandal about all hmm. this with like Tom and Raquel? And I know you shocked yes. by it all. Yes, I am. Because I liked Ariana. Ariana, so she's like down to earth. How could he do this? And then I think to myself, well, that's Hollywood for you, you know? And and the producers are just going, oh, yes. <laughs> that's the thing. Are. It's like the fact that there's a camera. So it's like, I, I said this the other day, I, I can't figure Raquel out. Like, did you, because there's a camera. So it's like, is this genuine? I mean, now everyone knows your name. I mean, they knew her name before, but this is like a whole different level. It's like, this is probably a good career move. I mean, I, I'm just so skeptical. This is the New York side of me. I'm just like, <laughs> it's different. It's not two people that had an affair. It's like they're having an affair with cameras. So it's like, I just I always think of like how genuine is each side. And now, you know, like you're hated, but that will pass. It always passes. And you're, there's got to be opportunities that come from this now. So I'm just like, is this how genuine that, that, that's where my crazy mind goes. I just, I just hope that if it, you know, if it is real and they do have, they do really have care about each other, that this doesn't go wrong or, you know, once this is all over, like I said before, you know, basically they'll shut the door on Vanderpump and move on. And a lot of these people will be, you know, they'll they'll either go back to their normal lives 
or they'll continue on in the business doing something else. But it's it's going to be a big wake up call, I think, when it when it's all over, because you got to remember you're living your life in front of the entire world. And that's tough to do. It's easy when it's scripted because you can walk away from it. But when it's not scripted and it's you, that's tough. It is tough. And you feel like, I feel like they almost did. Like, you know, we weren't really <laughs> talking about Vanderpump for two years, even though it was still on. And I don't know yeah. if you watch like Shaw's a Sunset, like that's over. I mean, yeah, they still right. exist, but you right, know, right. no one's really, t- I, I agree with you. Like, I think, especially if you're younger, I think you don't realize like when it's over, it's really over. Like someone yeah. might will want your picture in an airport. Absolutely. But what's the life plan? You know, no criticism. It's just like when it's over, it's really over. And Bravo's yeah, like, thank you for coming. That's that's exactly right. You know, and, and it's, it's hard because I've been through it twice in my life. You know, when I was, when my first career ended and then when I, when I retired now and you get so used to the attention and the recognition and everybody knowing who you are and doing things for you. And, and you're so important, but you don't understand how quickly that importance goes away and you're not anymore. And you have to learn to deal with that. And you have to just go on about your way. I mean, I'm so flattered if I go somewhere and someone will go, I know you, you're an actress. Oh my gosh. What show were you on? You know, and it's so flattering to me that they do remember. But, you know, that that was something that happened every day. Literally on Dallas, every day. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't go anywhere in the world without mobs at the airport. I mean, it was craziness. So you got to prepare yourself for that, too. I hope these kids are getting good advice. I hope they're getting good money advice. Because... They need to invest, put it away, and maybe write something, maybe create their own show. You know, that's where you move on and you don't get you don't get lost. I agree with I say in my next life, I'm going to open like a a school for like reality TV stars and say this is what you do in your first year if you're still there in three years. And because listen, especially with housewives, like everyone is always shocked when they get fired. It's like everyone loses the job why are you so shocked in year nine that it's you? It, yeah, it yeah. happens to everyone. It's like, what do you mean you didn't save any money? Like, what were you right. doing? For, it's it's right. it's always shocking to me of like, uh, yeah. it's it going to go me. away. That is how this, this model how, works. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, you, you kind of, you kind of look at it like a politician. You're running for office. Everybody's got the spotlight on you. Is he going to win? Is she going to win? This and that and the other. The election is held. This person wins. You didn't. They don't even care. They don't even know who you are anymore. That's how fast it happens. And in the business, it's kind of the same thing. I would did what what you said. I mean, I just remembered in my head. I did a love boat with Kim Richards when she was fourteen, maybe. And I remember her on and and it was all about her. And it was all about, oh, you're a star and you're this and you're that and the other. And I thought, then when I saw her on Housewives, it was like, oh, wow, I've been, I've seen those stories before, you know? So it's tough. Are are you shocked? I mean, are you excited for the new Beverly Hills without Lisa Renna? Were you a Lisa Renna fan? 
Um, I like Lisa. I think I've known her for forever. Yeah, I like her. Um, I, I, I don't know. It was a little abrasive. It was getting a little abrasive and a little, I don't know, kind of nasty in a way. I don't know who they who they replaced her with. We don't know yet. They're filming, but we don't know. But I mean, the rumor is like the directive is really like, ladies, we want a nice, chill Mm -hmm. season. Like, I think you know how it is. Like, I say Bravo wants drama, but when it gets dark, you know, Mm -hmm. with real alcoholism, like with that's when they're like cut. Like, we don't want this. Exactly. They've been given a directive of like after the bots and racism and all that stuff. With like, they were like. We just need like a nice uh, yeah. light season. I t- I so agree with with what you're saying. I mean that that is exactly true. I'll be curious to see. I also watched New- the Jersey Housewives too, and that's I somehow I have a feeling somebody's going to go on that show. I don't know why. Well, I think Melissa's going to go. She may she may very well go because they're not going to get rid of Teresa. Never, no. never. No. <laughs> Teresa is too much of a train wreck, but it's, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. And, and I was curious, maybe, you know, why do two of the daughters go on the show and two of them don't? Is there a reason for that? I always just assume it's cause like maybe the younger ones don't, but I, I agree. Yeah. Now. I mean, I mean, even the, they're, there's, they're both, they're beautiful girls and I noticed that even at a dinner table, at one point, it's kind of like they sit like this. Oh, really? I'm gonna have and they to. They don't want to be. They don't really want to be photographed. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I pick up on things like that. And it's like the other two are, you know, they're on there. I'm gonna have to notice that. I, yeah. I, I think personally, I think this is it for Jersey. I think big changes. You know how like every now and then they change. Oh, yeah. it? I think this yeah. is it. I think like. Margaret might go. I think, I think, I think it's going to be Margaret and Melissa and this is it. I I really do. I can't explain why. Uh, Last season, I said the second week, I said, Lisa's going and everybody told me I was crazy. I spent Mm. the entire season saying Lisa's not coming back. Then the last like three weeks I convinced, I'm like, you know what? Everyone else is right. I'm wrong. And I'm like, I'm going to stick to my guns this time. But Yeah, it's 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 kind of funny too when you see Lisa Vanderpump and she does those those after after show interviews and things. Lisa must wield a lot of weight at that network because she, you know, she has her opinions and they seem to be taken a lot. I, th- I think she's especially now, like as yeah. a producer on, I think she's like. I mean, what a great job. You're off the housewives where you have to fight yeah. with other people. Right. You're advertising every business you have. Yeah. <laughs> so much drama amongst your staff that's all uh-huh. sleeping. And all you have to do is come in for five minutes an episode mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. make the biggest paycheck, obviously, of anyone. That's, I mean, she's the smartest one of all of them at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Because Andy asked her about Rena, and she made a face. Like, uh, yeah, I saw that. You know, did you see that? And I kind of thought, well, that's interesting because maybe she has more pull than most people think, you know, where she was like, she was definitely fired and, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I know. I know. 
Well, listen, you can come back anytime you want and talk. When the, <laughs> okay. when, the, when the new season of Beverly Hills Housewives comes back, you can come back or you can. But I mean, I will be looking for you at fan conventions. I, I track that stuff. So hopefully I will meet you in person one oh. day. Oh, that would be wonderful. I have followed your career through all of it. I mean, huge Dallas fan, obviously, but all the other stuff I love too. And I've wanted to speak to you. Catherine, to me, is one of the best characters that ever existed on Dallas. So let me just put that out there. So this is my job. I'd be speaking to you anyway, but this chat was personal. So I totally appreciate you taking a trip down memory lane with me. I really appreciate your time. Oh, listen, I appreciate it so much. Thank you. You, 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 just brighten my day. It's really, really nice to go back and talk about it and laugh and, and stories and, you know, just inside stuff. I love it. I love it. And we have some housewives too. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Normally I, sometimes I think that and I'm like, let's, I didn't even, it didn't even cross my agenda to bring that up to you. I just <laughs> shame on me for making up my own backstory that, you know, Morgan Brittany would not be sitting at home watching Vanderpump or Housewives. I like what a led with that, you know? I mean, come on now. Unpredictable, right? There you go. I love it. I love it. I really appreciate your time. Like, this was great. You know, say thank you to your team or whoever else made this happen. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was my agent. You would love my agent. He's great. Oh. Um, yeah, it's great. I love it. So thank you. Keep in touch for real. And when this comes out, I'll I'll share it with your team and let them know when it's coming out. So great. Okay, good. And just email me every once in a while. Let me know what's going on. Okay. Is your email in your um well I'll I'll get it from my team because I don't think I have it, but I'll we'll yeah, like definitely yeah. stay in touch. Because I've been getting I've been getting correspondence from you so and writing back. So somebody's oh, cool. got it. From my God, awesome. Yeah, because I would love to have you back on, you know, and trust me, okay. I, I, I could have dived a lot deeper into the Dallas stuff too and everything else. So there's so much more. Oh my gosh, there's so much more. Everything you would say, it would spark something else and spark. We could talk forever. No, you know, you know what it is? You, <laughs> there's certain things you hit on that I like had down. It's like, that's when you know someone is great at an, a great interviewee because like, you brought things out that I'm like, oh, you just, those were 12 new questions I was going to ask you. I was like, thank you for that. So night oh, of a hundred stars. I literally forgot that even existed. So now I, yeah. my, my mind goes there. So oh, I, good. I really appreciate this though. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much. I, I will keep in touch. Okay. All right. All right. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me, 
and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.